Now let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we turn our attention now to your word in Matthew 1, we ask that you would come and meet us here and that you would bless us with your presence and grant us your spirit to understand, to hear, and to do. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why did God send his son into the world? What was it about humanity that the creator of heaven and earth, the one true and living God, would lower himself in order to take on human flesh and live among us in this broken, messed up place? As we celebrate Christmas, some of the songs that we sing address this question and provide us with good answers, but most of our songs just marvel at the reality that he actually came. He actually came in the humble and quiet way in which he entered our world. And when I say quiet way, I'm not forgetting about that multitude of angels who sang to the shepherds announcing his birth. What I mean is, it was only those lowly shepherds and Mary and Joseph and a few others who knew about this. What was God up to in sending his son into the world? Who was this little baby laid in the manger going to become? So that's the question that's before us and the question that Matthew 1, 18 through 25 answers for us this morning. So our, our theme here from these verses is that in Jesus, God sent us the Savior we needed who is God in the flesh. Matthew, in the beginning of his gospel, begins by listing the genealogy of Jesus. That's in verses 1 through 17. You can just look over on your, on your uh, uh, page there. Verses 1 through 17, tracing his ancestry from Abraham, who, of course, had received the promise from God that through his offspring all the families of the world would be blessed. Then, through King David, who was also given a promise by God that one of his descendants would reign over God's kingdom forever. Then it goes all the way to Joseph, verse 16, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, that is Messiah, the anointed one. So Joseph is often a forgotten character in the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, I've seen nativity sets that don't have Joseph in it. Um, He's kind of forgotten sometimes. But according to God's word here, he is a very significant character. Uh, As our passage begins, he has just been faced with a very significant crisis. Some would call it a calamity. The woman who was legally pledged to be married to him has been found to be pregnant. I can't imagine a more devastating situation for a prospective husband to be in. And here it was happening to this man. So Matthew brings us into Joseph's bedroom 
as it were, as he was pondering what his response ought to be. And in so doing, we are given this incredible revelation of who this child of Mary is and why he will be born into the world. And as the old Christmas hymn declares, it is a thrill of love, a thrill of hope as we think about this. So I, I frame the passage using headings that are examples of what uh, we might have said to Joseph if we could say anything to, to, to Joseph in hearing what he's heard from the angel here. So first, first thing we'd say, don't worry, Joseph, this is God's doing. Don't worry, Joseph, this is God's doing. Verses 18 through 20 again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So in verse 18, the word that is most, mostly translated as birth, the birth of Jesus Christ, is actually the same Greek word that is used as the name for the first book of the Bible. That is Genesis. That's the word here. The genesis of Jesus Christ. The beginning, the origin of Jesus Christ. Some have said a better translation might have been the origin of of Jesus Christ, because that's really what this passage is emphasizing. Note the birth story. It's, it's, it's not the birth story um, like we have in Luke chapter 2. It is his origin. How did the special child come into the world? Mary re reveals, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew reveals in, in these verses that it was by a miraculous act of God and not of man. That's what we see here. Twice he says that the child is from the Holy Spirit. When we see this repeated so close together, that is what we call something that the author is trying to emphasize for us. He doesn't want us to miss that. He's helping us to see this is the main thing, that it was God's doing. The child that Mary is carrying will soon give birth uh, uh, and, and will soon give birth to, is from the Holy Spirit. That is, this is an amazing work of God. And this, of course, reassures Joseph, for he had been considering just what his response should be to the news that Mary was pregnant. In that time and place, to be betrothed was to be legally married. It was far more binding than an engagement would be in our culture. A legal agreement that had taken place between Joseph's family and Mary's family that Mary would become Joseph's wife. Betrothal was a year-long period prior to the husband then taking his wife into his home to consummate their marriage. And that had not yet taken place. As verse 18 says, it was before they came together. So the crisis for Joseph was, before they came together, she was found to be with child. 
Pregnancy is something that you can't hide very well. And Mary's pregnancy had been found out. We're not told how Joseph found out about it, but he did find out about it, which had to be devastating for him. Now, in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary before all this and informs Mary that she would be the mother of the Son of God through this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. She was told ahead of time, but not Joseph. God allows Joseph to struggle with this. So there's a pastoral lesson for us here in the middle of this passage. The Lord let Joseph struggle for a time to figure out how how to solve his problem before he then revealed to him what was really going on. Sometimes the Lord lets us struggle a bit before the way out is revealed to us. But it is in these times where our true selves will be revealed. It is in these times where we really show what we are depending on, what or who we are trusting in. We're told Joseph was a just man. Now, this could be, could be translated as righteous as well. He feared the Lord and was guided by God's word. He did not want to play any part in this unrighteousness that it seemed Mary had done. And so divorcing her would be the best way to show his righteousness. It was just to do that. He was not the baby's father, and he had every right legally and, according to God's word, to divorce Mary. Yet it says Joseph was unwilling to put her to shame. So there, there, there were two ways that he could do this. He could do this publicly, make an example of Mary because of the wrong that she had done to him, or he could do it privately, just by providing Mary and her family with a letter of his intention to dissolve their marriage. And Joseph was considering his response, and he had come to a conclusion in his mind. It says he resolved to divorce her quietly, which showed that he was both just and merciful. He had made up his mind, and that is when God sent the angel to him to reveal a better way. And we see who Joseph really is. For he changed his plan according to what God said in his word. This must be our response too. If we see in God's word a different way to respond to our situation or a different way to live than how we are currently living. We must change our plans like Joseph did and obey God. God's word to Joseph was a reassuring one. He said, do not fear. He explains to Joseph that what had happened to Mary was an amazing act of God. Mary had not been unfaithful. She was not an adulteress. She was actually, as the angel called her in Luke one twenty eight, highly favored by God. The Lord had called her to be a part of his work of salvation, and now he was calling Joseph to also be a part of that work and play his role. Mary would need a husband to provide for her and protect her. God's son 
would need a dad to raise him and teach him. And the Lord was here calling Joseph to fulfill that role. God has also called us in the church to be a part of this same plan and to fulfill our role in it. God has called us to glorify him through loving one another here in the church and making disciples of others from all nations. Today would be a good time to consider just just how you are fulfilling that role that God has called you to play in, to play in this great plan of his redemption, of his people. How are you helping to make disciples? In what way are you loving and serving your brothers and sisters in Christ? May we respond like Joseph does here to the call of our Lord upon us. Now the next thing that we would want to tell Joseph, if we could, is be encouraged, Joseph. Your son will be special. Verses 21 through 23. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the Bible, one common theme is how meaningful names are. The Lord often used names to reveal his purposes for the life of his servants. Last week, I I mentioned how the patriarch Abraham had, had two names, He was first known as Abram, but then the Lord later gave him the name Abraham, which means the father of many nations. That was God's purpose for Abraham. That's exactly what he became, the father of of, of, uh, many nations, and that was a very significant role in the story of God's redemption. But the son of Mary would play the most significant role of any man in the entire story. And we see here that his role would be so significant that God gives him two names. They are names that we know well. They are the names that we sing about, especially at Christmas. Jesus and Emmanuel. One name describes his office, that is the Savior, and the other name describes his nature, that he is God with us. So let's just think about these two names and what they reveal about this baby born to Mary and Joseph and what these two names reveal about who we are as well. You shall call his name Jesus. This was actually a very common name amongst the Jewish people. For in Hebrew, the name is Yeshua, or translated in, in, in English, Joshua. Joshua was kind of a prominent figure in the Old Testament and the history of God's people. So in Hebrew, of course, the name has a meaning. And we can see what that meaning is just from verse 21 there. She'll call his name Jesus for, here's why you're you're, you're gonna call him Jesus, here's why you're gonna call him Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is the covenant name of God. So again, you don't necessarily have to know Hebrew to figure this out. You just got to read your Bible. The Bible usually helps us, especially if it is significant and the Bible wants us to know. So it tells us here. The name means 
God saves his people. He will save his people from their sins. Through Jesus, God will save his people from their sins. The Jewish people had been naming their sons Yeshua for generations because they had hope and faith in God to fulfill his promise to save them. And now, in commanding Joseph to give Mary's son this very name, God was, in fact, announcing, here I am. I have come to fulfill my promise and accomplish my word. I have come to save. I will be your salvation. But save from what? Well, the angel tells us. He will save his people from their sins. But wait now, their sins, we think? He came to save his people from their sins? Didn't God know that his people were under the power and control of Rome and Caesar Augustus at this time? Shouldn't he come to save them from from the Romans? What about sickness and disease? Shouldn't God come to save his people from sickness and disease? I mean, isn't that a pretty great problem? Or, Or what about poverty and oppression? Many of God's people at this time were suffering under poverty and oppression. That was a serious problem. Why wouldn't the angel say that the Son of God was coming to save his people from big problems like those? Instead, he says, he will save his people from their sins. Now, let's not deny that that those are serious problems. But what the Bible is telling us here this morning is that our sin problem is far more serious than poverty, hunger, disease, even being oppressed by a tyrannical government. Our sin is a far greater problem because it is our sin that has put us out of fellowship with God and which has led to our condemnation before him. It's it's just that we tend to think that sin really isn't that big of a deal. We can see these other problems pretty pretty clearly. We've all had experience suffering from them in one way or another, but sin is greater. Sin is far worse. At the deep root of all of our suffering is our sin, is our rebellion against God. And God, out of his grace, sent his own son into the world in order to save sinners like you and me. He did that through laying down his life. He was crucified on the cross and received the condemnation that our sins deserved so that we could be saved from that condemnation. Now all who believe and receive Christ as Savior and Lord are forgiven of their sins and sin no longer has mastery over their souls. Christ saves from our sins. J.C. Ryle wrote this about our Savior Jesus. He says, He saves his people from the guilt of sin by washing them in his own atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to rest with him. And he will save them from all the consequences of sin when he shall give them a glorious body 
at the last day. He goes on and says, blessed and holy are Christ's people from sorrow, cross, and conflict. They are not saved. We still must endure those things. But they are saved from sin forevermore. The second name is revealed to us from a prophecy of Isaiah. Scholars are divided here as to if the angel shared this prophecy fulfillment with Joseph or if it was just an explanation added into this account by Matthew. Either way, God the Holy Spirit wanted us to know this about who Jesus really was, that he was also the fulfillment of the word spoken by God through the prophet Isaiah. Look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, the Bible helps us to know what this name also means. Emmanuel means God with us. The little baby born to Mary in Bethlehem is God in the flesh. God himself with his people. This speaks of the true goal of God's great plan of redemption. It's not just to save us from our sins, It is so that God can be with his people. That is what we see throughout the grand story of the Bible. Remember, the story begins with God creating a world and a garden where God was present with his people as Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. But because of sin, God's people were cast out of the garden and separated from God's presence, but the story didn't end there, for God came after his people, delivering them out of slavery and oppression in Egypt, and then commanding them to build the tabernacle. The purpose of the tabernacle was so that God's presence could dwell within the midst of his people, within their camp, and yet still be separate from them. And after the people settled within the promised land, the Lord had King Solomon build the temple, again, for the purpose of God's presence being in the midst of his people and yet still separate in order to atone for their sins. As we follow the story, the tabernacle and the temple were both pointing us and preparing us for the coming of Jesus, who is God with us. And now we meet with God in and through Jesus. Jesus came to save us from our sins so that God could always be with us. Therefore, the key question for us this Christmas is, is God with you? Is God with you? You will only know that he is if you've been saved from your sins through Jesus. So have you admitted your need to be saved from your sins? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? That's the key question for us this Christmas. Do we know him as our Savior? Is he really with us? Well, be encouraged, Joseph. Your son will truly be special. He will save his people from their sins and will be God with us. Now, the last thing We'd want to tell Joseph here, if we could, would be, well done, Joseph. Well done, Joseph. We thank God for you. Look at verses 24 and 25. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We should understand that when we read these verses here and see Joseph respond in this way to what God told him to do, we are supposed to be very impressed. We're supposed to read this and cheer and rejoice. We're supposed to be like we are when we're watching a football game and we see one of the players of our favorite team make a great play. We're supposed to think, yeah, great job. Way to go. That's how it's done right there. Instead, we usually don't even notice because we just kind of expect that's what people in the Bible are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to listen to God's word and obey it faithfully. And that's true. They, they are. But as you read the Bible, you actually see most people in the Bible do the opposite of what God said to do. Think of God's people in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They receive the Ten Commandments. And what do they do almost immediately after that? The opposite of what God told them to do. Think of God's people after, after they settled in the promised land in the, in the book of Judges. Think of God's people throughout the time of the kings. In my daily readings recently, I, I've, I've been in Jeremiah. And, and, and this, prof, this passage in Jeremiah chapter 9 really struck me the other day when I read it. God said this in reference to the people of Judah. He says this about them. They proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. And then later, everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. And when the Lord says, they refuse to know me, he means they refuse to listen to me. Think about that. You've experienced that with certain people, right? They don't listen to you. They only talk about themselves when you are with them. And if you can even get a word in edgewise, you can tell they don't care. They're not listening. They refuse to know you. The Bible says that's how we are like with God. That is what the great majority of people we hear about in the Bible are like. But there are exceptions. By the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God, there are exceptions. And Joseph here is an exception. Here he listens to what God says. And we know he listens because he actually does what God tells him to do. In fact, he does all that God told him to do. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, which is what he was told back in verse 20, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. So he, he, he took his wife, he, he took Mary into his home. And then back to verse 25 here again but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Knew her not, of course, is referring to Joseph ensuring that Jesus would be born 
of a virgin, ensuring the word of the Lord would be fulfilled and that Jesus would be known as the Son of God. And then, it says, he called his name Jesus, just like he was commanded to do in verse 21. Now, when we hear this, we are to consider just what obedience meant for Joseph. Think about what it meant for him. He knew this was not going to be easy. He knew people were going to talk about him behind his back. He knew taking Mary into his home to be his wife when she was pregnant would generate a lot of scandal within his own family and within his community. He knew this. He knew this calling that he received from God to protect and raise the child who was the one God had sent to save his people from their sins would be one major responsibility. Obedience wasn't easy for Joseph. Obedience isn't easy for any of us. But at the same time, obedience always brings blessing. And there is the reassurance here that God will be with us when we obey. For Joseph, for Joseph, the only way God would truly be with him was if he believed God's word regarding Jesus and obeyed. When Joseph took Mary as his wife, Emmanuel became his adopted son. God was with Joseph in a special way. He was in his own house. Now, Joseph is a faithful portrayal of the life of a Christian. Christians hear God's word and trust God's word and do God's word. One faithful response to this passage for you would be to examine your own response to God's word. Is it like this? When you hear or read a command or an exhortation in God's word, do you make a point of obeying it? Do you do it? When you know you have disobeyed what God says in his word, do you respond with humbling yourself before him and acknowledging your sin and repenting of it? That is, do you take steps to change and overcome your temptation to sin in that way? Do you ask for help? Now, these may seem like difficult things. They are not easy. But it is how those who know Christ and his salvation live. On the other hand, the one who continues to cleave to his sin shows that he doesn't really know the one who came to save him from those sins. So this Christmas, I plead with you, make sure, make sure you know Christ and his salvation, and the blessing is God will be with you. I want to invite our, our men to come forward who will help me serve the Lord's table this morning. But as we, we make our way to the table, Again, what we are to have on our minds is this incredible reality. God came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And it wasn't easy for him. Incredibly costly is what it was for Jesus to do. 
But as the scriptures tell us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy of fulfilling God's will, the joy of being with God's people. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.